speaking of long lost, the long lost podcast hosts. I know. It's great to be back. What, uh, any idea what episode this is? Uh, 23, I think. 23? Damn, okay. I think so. I was trying to remember how to do it yesterday on the bus home, so I was listening to (laughs) the latest one and had literally no memory of (laughs) what we spoke about. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Our previous pod was the 28th of September 2021. That was a long time ago. Um, There has not been a significant break. There have been no major life changes. No, no. It's just... Clearly, the upload speed. Australian, the NBN is so shit, it's taken this long. <laughs> I, blame, I blame Malcolm Turnbull, as I do for many things. It's true. He is the lightning rod of everything that's wrong with this country. Yeah. I mean, look, there's an election. He's not involved. There uh, isn't. Oh, fuck, there is an election. <laughs> it's not even a week. There's an election. Oh, dear. I feel this has been a very cooked, weird election. Like, I feel like everyone's in a very weird headspace. You know, this is like a first post-COVID election. Like, all the state governments are, like, collapsing or changing. It's very weird times. Yeah, it is. We'll wonder if we'll actually have change then. Yeah. Well, South so South Australia, uh, obviously... Went back to its roots. Yep. We now have a Chad as our premier. An absolute Chad. <laughs> Chad Malinowskis beat Virgin Marshall. Six foot Lithuanian man dominates tiny walk in the box. Dominates. <laughs> <laughs> How tall is Stephen Marshall actually? Uh, 5'11. He's not 5'11. He's not 5'11. <laughs> he, he has five, like 5'5 five, five energy. Well, he's, he's the person that drives the Popeye, so I'm not sure how tall he is. Big election here in SA. Labor absolutely dominated, just as Labor had dominated, not as much as Labor had dominated in WA, where they crowned Mark McGowan as, you know, Emperor Eternal. <laughs> um, Northern Territory's um, chief executive guy, chief minister, Michael Gunner, resigned. Uh, same with old mate Ooh. Peter Gutwin, Tasmania. Wow. Oh. Times times are a changing. Um, there's a pretty large election coming up. Um, I I imagine he's feeling a little nervous, to be honest. Like, Albo is not a very impressive specimen, but he's successful in that he's not Scott Morrison. Yeah, it's it's a massive plus for him not being Morrison. But he's just like Albo's a real. There's just nothing interesting about him. But there's also nothing uninteresting about him. Yeah, like he's he's he's, he's Captain Average, I would say. He's the kind of he's the vanilla flavor, you know. Yes, like, absolutely. It's fine. It's not we're going to blow your socks off, but you know, nothing wrong with it. Not going to say yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if someone offers you vanilla versus like shit flavored ice cream, I'm, I yeah. would be pretty confident of picking vanilla. I'm okay with vanilla, um, unless you've got investment properties, but. <laughs> you can afford whatever ice cream you want. <laughs> um, yeah, like the Liberal Party is in such a weird spot, I imagine, just because it's kind of coming apart at the seams a bit because all the moderates are like under threat, not all of them. A lot of moderates are under threat 
by the kind of the teal independence. Um, and the right is just so getting twisted up with, you know, UAP and One Nation and all of this kind of crazy stuff. This might be like an election we look back on in 20, 30 years and go, oh, yeah, this is when, you know, both parties started to, to kind of diverge or this is where there was a change in the Liberal Party. This is maybe, you know, in a few years we'll look back and go, oh, this is when the, the coalition kind of started to come apart. I don't know if that if it would be now. I would actually argue it was a few years ago. But, yeah, I'm loath to make any predictions about who will win. A lot of the polls say Albo has it pretty successfully, but, my God, have they been wrong before? The regularity at which polls are wrong sort offers yeah. no assistance. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get my hopes up. You know, I'm. I'm preparing yeah, for this appointment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty tame campaign. I don't think there's been anything kind of crazy. It's um, been some cracking core flutes, though. I would um, say core flute game has definitely. They've definitely upped it. Some there's some photoshops. There's some little slogans. There's the typical yeah, yeah. core flute. It's just. It's a, even the um. I reckon the um our SA state election was the first time that I really noticed that with um oh it's okay Harry um with uh, some of the Marshall ones yeah with the uh, yeah like SA's worst COVID Marshall and you're like that's genius core flutes are weird are they even effective like do do, do people actually look at core flutes and does that inform their kind of voting? I have no idea. I presume that a lot of people just might not be aware of anything. So that's their way of at least putting a face to the names on the ballot when they vote for it. So It signals to, like, busy mums and dads that there's actually an election coming up. Yeah, yeah. That as well, actually. I think that's a fair point. I know that the Liberals last year, uh, like Stephen Marshall's government, tried to ban them on public streets. Um, but that did not oh, pass. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I but that, they, that. They, they couldn't have passed anything that, that government. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, Harry so, agrees. So in much more interesting news than, than Scott Morrison and Anthony. <laughs> more interesting than the future of our country. Well, maybe not interesting, but definitely cuter. Um, Very true. And, and less stressful. Uh, <laughs> we're joined today by two guests. We are. So, so should you introduce them, Anthony? Yeah, absolutely. So our our recent uh, came from uh, Harry, so Harrison, and the the background uh, are from Oliver. Very amazing. Ooh, a bit more of a hello from Oliver. That's exciting. So yeah, we've got two two special guests. I knew that we needed someone to take over the Pod Gods podcast yeah. when we both retire. Absolutely. Um, so I very kindly and generously uh, created two future podcasters to take over. I mean, that's that's the whole purpose of children, really, you know? Yeah, yeah. Fulfilling your kind of destiny, carrying on the family name. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's good that they already know what they kind of feel they're going to go into podcasting. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those careers that 
us as youths didn't really have the opportunity to pursue, but yeah, now it's you know a legitimate career option. Yeah, I mean, not for us. No, 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 not for us. But uh, perhaps we have no chance. Our children. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, do you remember when you were younger and they used to be like, "Oh, the jobs you will do in the future probably haven't even been invented yet." Um, They were bang on. I didn't believe it at the time, but they were bang on. Well, like, they only invented lawyer a few years ago. Um, Yeah, yeah. Very recent. Yeah, like... You know, if I had known that I could have, you know, an OnlyFans, I would have probably worked out as when I was younger. Yeah, me too. I would have... I would have... (laughs) I would have used that penis-growing pill on... Row it three was regularly advertised. <laughs> so, okay, you're a dad now. I am. I am. Although two. I believe on a previous podcast we discussed when official dad status existed, but I'm oh, yeah. I'm extra official, certified, stamped by the Chief Justice, uh, <laughs> official dad. Yeah, the head dad. Head dad. <laughs> head dad. But yeah, no, I am. I have I have two small spawns of myself that are currently looking at me slightly confused and wondering what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but they're they're physically there. I can see them, I can hear them. Oh, that's good. I'll confirm that I can touch them. I've given a boop on the yep. nose. Yep, yep, can confirm. They are physically present. So how old are they, by the way? Actually, the They point. are five months today. Today? Yep. Wow. Very ex- We time-stamped it, but... I will say this, though. Only five months? I feel like they've been around a lot longer. They have. It's been a long journey. Pregnancy is, is, is part of the process and a, a substantial portion that basically means that your life is exactly the same. It's like training. Because you're stuck. It is, it is training. Mm. Helpful training, but, but not quite preparatory. It is what it is. So, okay, you're five months in of, of dad mode activation yeah yeah what what are some of the things you've found like what are okay out of our many many listeners mm. for our listeners who maybe are about to become parents what is what is some advice that you would give them what are some things you've learned what are some hot anthony tips hot anthony tips well, well i will provide some tips and experiences while i transport each child to their cot for a midday nap. Wonderful. So that's it's the like context. That's the, the surrounding context. So we're going to start with Oliver. Hello, Oliver. Yes, Harry, you're next. It's okay. All right, thumbs up. So Oliver is fine individual. Oliver was the, uh, the first one home. Nice. And... Um, and well, I oh Jesus Christ! And I um, <laughs> I basically had a panic attack on the first night that he was home. Did you? Because well, we didn't really know 
Like the hospital is great in some respects, but very much didn't either have the time or they don't generally actually give you any like opportunity or training for how to look after a child. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. There you go. Um, so it was like it was pretty fucked on the on the first night home. Very rough. Like we didn't know what we were doing. We were like trying to Simone was trying to breastfeed, but like it wasn't really working and then we couldn't work out like how to actually put them to bed because you need to like Oh Harry, it's okay. Um because you need to like swaddle them to wrap them up to make sure that they're warm enough overnight. And we didn't know how to like swaddle them appropriately so they didn't get out. Oh. So no, it was a it was a massive Oliver. It was a massive challenge. Um and that was with just one. So it was uh it was very hard. Yeah. But I know, guys, I know. Alright, there you go. Okay, Harry. I know. I know you want to be involved in the podcast. I know. I know. They're very in sync. It's impressive. All right, darling. It's okay. It's okay. There you go. You got it. Yeah, you got it. It's okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, so that was, like, actually the hardest bit of the start was just we didn't really know what was going on. You have, like, one opportunity to bath them. Um, Simone was recovering from, uh, like, a C-section, so she, like, couldn't move, and then they randomly put Oliver in our room because he was, he was fine. I couldn't be there because of all the COVID restrictions. This um, was when, like, everything had, like, massively surged with COVID. Yeah, yeah, and it was just, it was absolutely hooked at the hospital and all of their, like, stupid restrictions about, you know, limiting who could come in and for how long and... Yeah. It was just a mess. Like, um, would you so that was an added fine. challenge. Sorry, would you have been, like, totally fine to, like, wear, like, full PPE, all of that stuff, but, like, it wasn't like you didn't even get an option to try and do it. You were just, like, not allowed in... Uh, no, we didn't have an option because, yeah. I mean, even the birth was, um, was fucked in that regard as well. And as is typical, uh, in you know, many places around the world, everyone who like made those restrictive decisions were the people who, you know, work nine to five and get paid obscene amounts of money who yeah. don't actually know what's going on yeah. on the ground. So that was that was that was a, a a big challenge. Yeah. Um. And then added to that, obviously, Harry was a bit delayed coming home, so we had the challenge of transporting Oliver to the hospital to be able to see Harry, and then him not being able to come home, and it was all just fucked. So our our start was challenging in and of itself, kind of independent of any lack of knowledge or inability. To know how to look after babies. 
But after we kind of got through that, Oliver, what's the matter? After we kind of got through that, and particularly the past kind of two months, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Because um, they're a lot more, like, interactive. They have different noises. They, like, recognise things. Yes, hello. Um, so it's a lot more, I guess, fulfilling being able to interact and look after them and spend time with them. Whereas at the start, it's very, you're, you're guessing a little bit because they, they're not super interactive. So it's just yeah, sleep, eat. And poop. Yes, you did that, Oliver. You slept, ate, and pooped. With. Um, so it was a bit more like it's just a bit harder because you know you're guessing at what you're doing, but you don't really get the feedback. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was oh, that was a, a stressful ramble about how <laughs> how it all went. But but yeah, so the, the start is very like. It's just learning what you physically have to do, particularly with first children, um, about, you know, feeding, if they're going to be, have breast milk or formula or um, working out how best to put them to bed and what naps are like and how to hold them. And there's just a lot to learn that you don't really get at the hospital because they're trying to get you in and out and their job's kind of done once the baby's born and all their yeah. stats are fine. So the hardest bit is just learning that, that stage. But once you get through it and you kind of get into a, a routine or you understand what needs to be done and the processes for things, then it's a lot more. It's just the volume of that that's hard rather than the individual things that you need to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's just mm. so much, like you're having so many new experiences, having to do so much all at the same time while you're sleep deprived, stressed out, um, and there's screaming children. Like, yeah. And then um, we went and had two. So, yeah, you just you decided to have two. You just really wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really wanted to flex. We organized it beforehand. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, like, how do you feel like you're you're feeling now? Like, do you guys feel like you're in a good routine now? Yeah. Like, it's it's just general exhaustion rather than anything really beyond oh, it's that. Not. It's just that there's there's always there's always something that needs or or could be done. Sorry, I'm just making yeah. my lunch. I'm having to like triple task at the moment. Um. Okay. So, so our listeners, please feel free to also make your lunch and enjoy yeah, yeah. it at the same time. Sponsored by lunch, the podcast. Sponsored by lunch. Um, so, yeah, it's just that there's, there's, like, always something to do. So there's never, like, you never feel like an, you have an opportunity just to sit down and relax. Because the only time yeah. that you really do that is after they're in bed, which is, like, 7.30 or so. Um, and if you're lucky, you've had dinner already but you still have to do all the dishes, like clean yeah. their bottles, um, sterilise them, get water for the next day for their feeds. And then, you know, if there's washing that needs to be hung out, hang that out, empty the bins because the bins, you know, piled up with nappies that they've, you know, peed and shat in and all that. And then by the time that's done, you're fucking exhausted. It's nine o'clock and you're like, if I don't go to bed now, 
I will not have enough sleep to function the next day. Yeah. So it's a real, like, it's just a, a real limitation on your, I guess, non-essential free time. Yeah. Um, which has probably been the biggest, the biggest and the hardest change slash transition. Yeah. Is it's like, I can't, the only time that I can actually do something for myself, if I do something for myself, then I am, I'm sacrificing sleep and I will feel it the next day. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is hard. Um, Fuck yeah, that's hard. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, it's, it's pretty good. As babies go, they are actually quite yeah. excellent. Like they're not like super demanding yeah. other than obviously that little bit, but that's because they need to go to sleep. Um, but the, yeah, they're not super demanding. They don't need to be held constantly. Um, you know, they don't need to be, they're pretty okay either like settling themselves if they wake up or they just, they just need a dummy rather than needing to be held and rocked and put back down and really good. then if that doesn't work, then reheld. So it's hard, but it's not, it's not as hard as it could be mm. even. It's just the fact that there's two as well. That's, you know, that's just an added little bonus rather than, <laughs> rather than anything else. Yeah. How, like how, how, how have you adapted to, like, bodily functions? Does it still affect you? Uh, oh, not, not nearly as much. They have, they have their you – get, you get used to it for sure. Um, but, like, you know, they still have their massive poos that I need to, like, cough through. But um, <laughs> other than oh. that, it's okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how you're doing all of this, homie. I don't know either, but you just, I don't know, you you find a way to make it work. Yeah. And it just, it just becomes your reality, really. Yeah. You just kind of settle in. I suppose, you know, in a way that like, it's not going to be forever. Like they're, they're not always going to be doing that, which in a way I suppose provides you with some kind of not escape, but just like, I'm only doing this for, there's like a certain part of my life that I just have to. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. But for the majority yeah. of my life, I don't have to. Just my yeah. own. No, no, it's very true. It's very um, true. And that, you know, that certainly helps. Um, not, you know, specifically in the moments when you're doing it and they're, they're both unhappy. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, I can't do both of it. I can't do two people at the same time. Like, I just <laughs> have to do one at a time, which means that one has to sit there being really unhappy and you're like, oh, I wish I could do something, but yeah, it's you. You definitely become um, numb to the crying sometimes. Yeah, you just kind as of as in like you that. know that that has to happen because you're doing something else that, like, literally can't wait. Yeah, like you learn the different kinds of cries. Yeah, yeah, that as well. But, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, other than that, it's fucking great. Yeah. Highly recommend. Worth, worth, like, it's like, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. 
they're great. They started as soon as they started smiling, like oh, probably two months or so ago. Yeah. As soon as they started doing that, it was it was just painfully obvious how worth it it was. That's so that's so beautiful. That's sweet. Mm. Um, that's the like all of your descriptions of like everything you have to do is really interesting. I think it shows how you know humans didn't always used to live. You know, two people. Yeah, yeah. Take care of, like, let alone one child, like two children. Um, you know, we always used to kind of live in much more kind of communal groups. Mm. You know, you'd have grandparents come to help, which I know you have had, but like, as part of like the everyday structure, you have yeah, to yeah. look after it. And you can really see the benefits, especially in like some societies and cultures still have are, are quite like that. Um, you know, everything has its positives and negatives, but I suppose, you know, having more support from family, from kind of an extended kinship group, maybe even an entire village, um, definitely has its benefits. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and without that, we wouldn't have made it. Like, it's just having, uh, particularly early on, like, once once you kind of get used to it, um then you're a bit like, well, you know, now I want to spend time with my children and interact with them and kind of work on my own routines and systems and ways of doing things and and stuff like that. But particularly early on, if there's just someone who can, you know, do a load of washing or some housework or anything like that, it's just such a massive help. Because like I said, there's always, there's always housework going on that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, so if someone can take away one, you know, one load of washing or one load of dishes or, yeah. you know, cook a meal or something, then that suddenly you've got that bit of time in your day that you can then obviously fill with another thing that you need to do, but it's at least minus one. Amazing. Incredible. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, a challenge, but a very rewarding challenge as well. Yeah. So I know what I'm going to get for your birthday. I'm not going to get you flowers, buy a present. I'm just going to come and like do some loads of washing. Perfect. Would that's, happily accept. That's not yeah. even an exaggeration. <laughs> that's like, yeah. So anyone listening, that's what get your friends with young babies. Just yeah. clean for them and cook for them. Literally. Let them sit on the couch for an extra 15 minutes. Oh, God, yeah. It, it makes such a big difference. Oh, it's good. And I guess it's also why you need to have quite a strong partnership. Like, you really got to go into this with someone you actually like. Like. Oh, God, yeah. We've had our fair, our fair share of challenges throughout uh, pregnancy and then post-birth. Yeah. Um, but literally every... Find a way. Um, I don't know. I just think it's just being able to work with someone, you know, like work together. You're a team. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, uh, yeah. But the hardest thing, I think if there was like one, yeah. one piece of advice that we got, we did something called a circle of security, which is okay. like um, a way of, I'm not sure if it's officially like a like a lot psych psychology thing i think it might be but just like how to 
not how best to, but just things to know. They're helpful to know about how to like raise children and interact with them and be a parent for children. And one of the best things that arose from that was like when they, you know, are, are crying or they're unhappy or they're, you know, making noises or they're trying to get your attention, like particularly when they're babies, like it's not, they're not trying to make your life difficult. They're just trying to say, I need something and they don't have any other way of communicating with you to tell you that. Yeah. So when, you know, when they're crying or when they're unhappy, I think that mindset really helps to understand, like, you know, this isn't them trying to be difficult for us. Like, I can't get mad at this child or this human who has no other way of interacting with me or telling me what they want other than, say, crying, for example. Yeah. Um, but understanding that is a really important, I think, mindset shift. Because once you understand that, then it's less about being angry at them and saying, oh, why are you crying? Like, why, why would you do this? Why are you crying? And more of a, okay, like, you need something. What is it that you need? Yeah. And that, I think, really helps to, I guess, be able to deal with the challenges. Was that something you started, like, doing straight away, or was that something that you kind of, like, adopted a few months in? Uh, it's something that was very easily forgotten early on in the whole I guess, kind yeah. of stress and <laughs> what the fuck do we do now when yeah. they were first, um, first came home. But it's definitely something that helped during uh, or kind of developed a bit more over time. Uh, yeah. Particularly in, in challenging moments, being able to re-remember that. Yeah. And go, okay. This is really difficult, but you don't know any different. So how can I how can I help? I suppose that is something that would be so useful, like being either at the hospital or beforehand, like mm-hmm. a bit more I don't know, training for Yeah, yeah. I know that in yeah. South Australia we have some of the lowest kind of um parental like pre birth and post birth like um parental checkups. Parental check-ins by nurses and midwives. I think other states get like five or ten. I think in South Australia we only have a, like a couple. Um, and it does yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. And then we had a different, like we were probably lucky and even then you know, it just didn't feel like enough. Because we have two, of course. So we're like, you know, it's yeah. quote-unquote harder um, and therefore you get a bit more kind of post-birth and pre-birth support. But Like, even then, like, that's not enough. And then when you think about people with single babies, they have even less than that. And it's just, like, it's just, it's not enough. Like, they just don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard, but they're just happy to get the baby out. And then as soon as all your vitals are good, you go, okay, good luck. Yeah, fuck. See ya. That must be, it would have been so daunting. I can really understand how that first night must have just been like, what yeah. are we doing? What, are, what do we have to do? I'm, I'm, it's the realization of, oh my God, I'm a dad. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not sure that like any parent goes home, maybe even if they had a lot of, you know, extra 
help yeah. or training or anything. I'm not sure any parent actually goes home the first night. It's like, awesome. I know exactly what I'm doing. But it's, it's made extra hard if you don't have any other, you know, practice or, or training yeah. or help or, yeah. Um, I guess some people, you know, have lots of kids, so maybe practice makes perfect. Maybe by your, like, sixth or seventh, you know, you've got it down to a fine art. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that, that I'm sure that that's the case. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, mainly just, like, you're just knowing stuff, right? Yeah. Just things that, you know, need to be done or should be done or just stuff like that that don't get told. And even if you read it somewhere in the, you know, the excitement slash fear <laughs> slash joy slash terror, yeah. You forget all that, like, you know, you're not really remembering a, an article that you read when you were three months pregnant saying, you know, how, how many layers baby will need overnight if it's 13 degrees. Like, yeah. that's just not a, not a thing that you can remember, even if you have, have attempted or done the, yeah. your own preparation. So, Yeah, that's so true. Like, I can read so many books about trying to fly a plane, uh, mm-hmm. but Four. Don't know how I'm going to go when I actually have to sit in the cockpit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so accurate. I don't know. I don't know. You guys have done an amazing job. Like the boys are so healthy and happy. They they are ginormous. They've grown so much so quickly. Yeah, they just passed eight kilos. <laughs> like that. Like I know that they're you know you're a big dude and like they're they were big babies, but mm-hmm. that for me as you know an outsider has been the most kind of surprising part for me is how quickly babies develop and change like they have gone through like three different evolutions of baby already um yeah. and now yeah. they now they have like you know their hair they have hair and smile they're like kind of like little people even though they're mm-hmm. not like around or, or talking or anything i don't know when that start doing that like i don't know a few years in or whatever um it's interesting it's just like how powerful kind of just food, breast milk and naps are can just turn a tiny little baby into this, you know, toddler. Even though your babies are nowhere near that level yet. Oh, it's more just that, you know, when you're in the process, it feels like it's taking forever. Like, you know, it feels like it took forever for them to get out of the, you know, non-responsive stage to... Yeah. smiling and interacting and stuff but looking back like it's been you know it's been half as long as simone was pregnant or just over half as long as simone was pregnant it's like no time at all yeah yeah right like this wasn't you weren't you had no idea like 2020 right mm-hmm. um that wasn't even on the horizon none of this was any idea and now it's like just over it's like a year and a bit later and you're like oh <laughs> my life has changed fundamentally in every single way yeah sitting back and thinking about that it's a bit like far too what did we do before this like what what was our time filled up with before we had children you just don't know like you just can't can't imagine it what is, the, what is your lunch, by the way? Lunch update for all the listeners. I'm having a... I've got Turkish bread. Nice. 
fried up some prosciutto and eggs, and then some avocado and Tommy mayonnaise with Ooh. some aromat and a bit of butter. Wow. Mm. What did you have for lunch? Uh, what did I have? Okay. What or did brunch, I have? even. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't had lunch. That's right. I uh, You called me before. I, I had a very large, uh, a big breakfast, classic Australian big breakfast. It had two pieces of toast, two poached eggs, some bacon, like a Kransky kind of chorizo, like a sausage kind of thing, uh, two hash browns, uh, some mushrooms, some tomato, some salsa, which was a nice little little touch. Um, avocado, and uh, I had it with a coffee, which was really good. I'm so full right now; like, I don't think I'm ever going to eat again. Like, I'm I'm just absolutely full. Um, Australian breakfasts, like Australian cafes and breakfasts, are this kind of weird thing. Like, I've travelled. I look, you know. I'm just going to flex for a bit. I've travelled a bit around, you know. I've travelled through Europe. I've been through parts of Asia. Uh, and food in ov- overseas, very, very good. Like, French food, incredible. Italian, amazing. Japanese, great. But there's something about Australian, specific, like a cafe-style Australian breakfast that, my God, it's just good. Like, it, it, is, it is very good, like, my, me and my brother, after traveling through Europe, came back home and we we're like, beautiful country, like beautiful, everything's amazing, but Australia's just, it, it's breakfast culture. I think being both influenced by kind of British, you know, like a, a big English breakfast, but also then kind of American cafe culture, alongside with like Australian produce, like, you know, like obviously like some of the best. Like, really good for everything, tastes good, usually have fresh stuff, so much avocado everywhere. Um, it just kind of combines into a very good experience that I haven't experienced that much around other places of the world. I'm sure if I travel to the UK or the United States, you know, you find similar thing. Oh, and, like, I'm sure New Zealand has a similar culture as well. But um, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I don't know how Australian breakfast culture kind of developed because it's so tied to kind of cafes and restaurants but even people at home you know like the classic smashed avo um great breakfast i can't really picture like going out for breakfast in another country and what i would get as part of that yeah like obviously you can do that and i'm sure that it's probably potentially something quite comparable but when so imagine going out for breakfast in Australia. It's such a clear picture of, you know, the avocado on toast or, you know, eggs benedict or, like, the, the granola acai bowl or anything. Like, I know that they probably come from other places, but it's just so easily associated with I'm in Australia and I'm going out for brunch. I will obviously get this. Whereas if I'm in another country, I'm like, okay, I'm going out for brunch. I don't necessarily know what I will get. Yeah, like, like for example, in France, right, like, French food, incredible. Love French food. Love to cook it. Love to eat it. Love to have other people cook it for me. Um, but French breakfast 
is kind of just like croissant, you know? Like, it's nothing really amazing. And, like, that's fine. Like, that's legit. Like, love a good croissant. Mm. But um, there's nothing really – it's not really, like – there's no tradition around it, right? It's not, mm. like, kind of a set time of day. There's no sort of personal allowance for it. There's not really even that much of an industry built around the idea of kind of a cafe breakfast. Like, now these things obviously exist as they would in every country because, you know, global trends and such. But, um, yeah, I don't know. When I can't kind of come back to Australia, I'm like, man, Australian kind of breakfast, it's good. Love me some brunch. Love me some brunch. I don't think I've really ever met anyone who doesn't like brunch. All right, what is, okay, what is your current, you know, you have to rush off to work, dad breakfast? What do you, what do you kind of, what is your breakfast routine at the moment? I have, all right, I can do, I can do a, an updated <laughs> morning routine. Oh yeah, let's do it. Well, so technically my morning starts between the hours of 12 and 4 a.m. <laughs> um, <right>. And <laughs> depending on what goes on in those hours, I may either only be awake for uh, a few minutes um, or heavily interrupted will re-wake up multiple times after only a few minutes. Yeah. Or it will involve transporting one child at a time to a twin credible sponsored um, and then feeding them uh, 150 mils of Harry Care zero to six months formula. And I will get a tub of Yoplait vanilla yogurt, 900 grams. 900 out of the fridge. grams? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see, I see. You're, you're, you're doling it out. You're not eating 900 grams. No, 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 no. That's, that's not my daily consumption. It's just the size of the tub. Um, so I'll let, get that out, and then I'll go to the walk-in pantry, very premium, and get <laughs> a Hubbard's Amazing Toasted Clusters, either vanilla and almond or blueberry and pomegranate uh, granola. What is your personal favourite? Uh, I think pomegranate and blueberry. Which, interestingly enough, I only became aware of because it was a substitute as part of one of our Woolworths orders. Oh, like for, a Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. like, raspberry and coconut or something. But then I worked out that pomegranate was the superior flavour and it's since been quite attached to it. So, yeah, I'll pour out um, three generous... Uh, tablespoons of yogurt into a bowl, Love pour that. over the top the granola, then like spread it out a little bit, and then I will consume that for breakfast. Amazing. With a glass of milk. With a glass? My God, that's so much dairy, Anthony. I know, I'm, I know. I've really. Yogurt? My God. <laughs> I've like doubled my dairy consumption. <laughs> um. And yeah, I, that's, I would die. that's breakfast. I don't know if I could handle that much. Mm. Anyway, continue. Uh, and that's yeah, that's that's my breakfast. And then after that, I'll go and um, you know brush my teeth and get changed for work. Dolly and then Parker I, 
Nine to five. What a way to yeah. live it. <laughs> Every morning. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then I go go off to work and leave Simona to look after the boys. Yeah. Wow, what a journey. Man, I, you do so much before. That's very different to my experience of rolling out of bed, uh, having a shower, having a smoothie, and then sitting in front of the computer for like five hours. Well, Jordan, we can't, we can't all be living the dream. Different um, strokes for different folks. Very true. Um, <sighs> hell yeah. Wow. Mm. What, a, what an amazing journey. Um, Fantastic baby chat. Um, what else has been going on? Oh, you know what else? That probably would have been a, a, a sizable podcast topic. Um, there's a war in Europe now. New, new war disrupt. Um, that's... He bloody went in. I, didn't, I did not think he would do it, but... Um... I guess he he's done it. I I think I mean it's been a bit of a mixed bag. The Russians have, have had some W's, but also some pretty some pretty sizable L's. Um, yeah, I think what I think today might be 80th day of the war of the invasion. Um, look, it's been a it's been a time, and look, I'm sure everyone has read or heard about the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Um, been going so. on for about two, three months. Even I heard about that. Very I think probably there's about, I reckon there's about three months left. I reckon it'll still go on for a, a, a good a good chunk of time. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's mm. been it's there's been lots of kind of crazy stuff going on. Some pretty big, you know, uh, like for example, the encirclement of a city in the south of Ukraine called. Mariupol, um, mm. where kind of one of Ukraine, the Ukrainian army's like crack, like Ukrainian nationalist ideological units. The Azov Battalion was slash still is encircled um, in like this giant steel plant called the Azovstal Steel Plant, and they're like hiding in all the buildings and tunnels while the Russians are kind of like clearing them out as it goes. Hey, it's brutal, brutal warfare. If anyone gets out and writes books about them. I will definitely read because it is fucking nuts. Um, you know, the Russians pushed into Kiev and then they were just kind of hanging around there for a, few, a little while. I mean, hanging around. They were actively fighting the Ukrainian just army. Chilling. Um, and now the Ukrainians have just pushed out the Russians in the kind of the north near a city called Kharkiv, um, or the Russians have pulled back um, because the Russians are making pretty serious gains kind of in the south and in the center, around like a Donbass region. Um, and it looks like they could pull off a pretty major encirclement of, of two or three cities and a lot of Ukrainian troops. Um, yeah, it was weird watching kind of Putin go in um, because I really did not think he would do it because why the fuck would you go to war in this day and age? But he's, he's done it. Um, I think the Russians will eventually win, but... You know, Ukraine does have the manpower advantage, and the uh, you know the West will just continue to pump weapons and funding. Um, but the Russians sort of have you know it's like it's Russia, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's the yeah, Russian yeah. army. Like, mm-hmm. it, it has staying power. Um, 
Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's, it will be interesting what happened, particularly, obviously, you know, the Ukraine having arguably, you know, a superior political leader. Um, definitely a popular, more popular one currently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who's out there on the, uh, on the socials? Yeah, like Zelensky uh, is a weird, mm-hmm. is a weird character. Like he, he was like, you know, he's like he was like a mayor of like one of like a pretty major city, um, but he, um, he was like a comedian for a long time and like an actor, um, and he only really won in twenty um, twenty nineteen, and he kind of ran on like a pro peace. So Ukraine has been in a civil war since twenty fourteen, uh, when Russia, you know, there was a it was a revolution against. Um, a a the incumbent president Yanukovych, he was overthrown. Petro Poroshenko, who is like this um big billionaire guy, um who's like really invested in uh, confectionery. Like um he was known as like the chocolate king or the candy man because he like made all of his money from like chocolate companies. He comes in, very pro West, lots of stuff happening. Some very very uh intense ukrainian nationalists get quite a lot of power in the ukrainian armed forces one of the boys is a is not a fan or slash is a fan of ukrainian nationalism um yeah it's uh it's been weird and then yanukovych ah not yanukovych sorry poroshenko kind of loses in 2019 to Zelensky, originally a pro-peace guy, tries to make peace with the kind of the Donbass republics, the kind of separatists in the east of the country, uh, fails pretty pretty hard at that, um, and then starts kind of going against the Minsk agreements, and then Russia eventually kind of goes in for a whole range of reasons, apparently to protect Russian speakers. You know, there has been a, a pretty brutal war in the Donbass for a long time now. Um... But yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, a quite a sizable change. It's had a pretty global impact on food prices, inflation, petrol prices. Like I don't know if you've noticed, but petrol is so expensive. It's got me like two bucks a liter. And then it went down, like presumably right in the middle of the war still going on. Yeah. The, you know, one fifty or whatever, which is still ridiculous, but you know not that bad. And now it's back up to two dollars again. I just oh. crazy. It's crazy. I I think it's all it bullshit, down. Jordan. They're just making it up. I think it went down because so Australian government takes a fuel excise of forty four cents in every liter. So every liter sold forty four cents of that will go to the Australian government, um, and I think they halved it to twenty two cents for the next like six months. And so maybe that had an effect on prices, but obviously that's. Was a short, very, very short-term effect. Oh god, yeah. But yeah, the war is is it's pretty brutal. Like the Russians have made mm. some massive mistakes, but like they have learnt from their mistakes. Like you know, you heard all these stories. You know, Russians without radios, all they're you know stuck in these massive long convoys out of petrol. Ukrainian tractor farmers putting tractors behind, you know, convoys and blocking up hundreds of Russian trucks. Um, but the Russians have learned from this and, and they are making gains. And like, while the Ukrainians are also making some gains, they're kind of 
tactical victories, while the Russians are kind of making strategic victories, which is what you want to do over a long term to win a kind of a modern conflict. Um, what also has been very interesting, and uh, you know, actually in an earlier episode we have spoken about this when we spoke about the war um, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Yes, yeah. Absolute throwback. Um, talking about kind of the end of the age of the tank. Um, and, you know, Russia and Ukraine are both pretty heavy tank armies. Um, Ukraine is definitely like a, a defensive infantry army. Like they dig a lot of trenches and build a lot of bunkers and stuff, while the Russians are probably an artillery army. They just kind of blow everything away from a few, <laughs> a few Ks away. They just kind of level everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but tanks are, you know, while they're still effective and useful, they're a lot weaker. Like anti-tank, like personal anti-tank missiles and everything are now so effective. Um, and yeah, yeah. drones are very, very effective as well at just kind of taking out tanks. Um, you know, you spend $6 million on a, like a T-90 Russians, and then like a $200 Turkish drone that Ukrainians have bought from some dude <laughs> uh, blows it up. So who knows? We might come in and check back on this topic when things are a bit clearer about how it's going to go. Currently, the Russians yeah, yeah. are trying to encircle two cities of Lysychansk and Severodonetsk. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe next time we'll do it. You know, Zelensky is marching into, into Moscow. Um, I can't think what that be. On the back of a bear without a shirt on. That'd be hair. Yeah, he's just kind of as a as you know, he's the new. I'm the new Putin now. Um, and then he'll reinvade Ukraine. <laughs> Zelensky had a um, a pretty like a very popular TV show in Ukraine called Servant of the People, where he played the president. Oh, is this the clip where he's um invited to join the UN or the European Union? Yes, he does. But Angela Union. Merkel calls the wrong. <laughs> Oh, sorry, we thought you were Estonia. Oh, oh sorry. You know, Ukraine's best wishes to Estonia. Yeah, like so Ukraine true. is probably not going to join the EU anytime soon. Uh, their economy is fucked. Um, the Germans won't let them because they already have to deal with, you know, the Greeks. Greece. Out. Uh, but also like Portugal, even Italy, Spain, like a lot of oh, countries yeah, yeah. Kind of not bad, but, you know, they're not economic powerhouses. Um, sorry, Italy and Spain, um, Portugal and Greece, you know what you are. <laughs> um, yeah, so they won't join the EU for a while. And also, I really don't think that they can join NATO because uh, it's too risky for the Americans. Like, why do all, why would you, if I'm a German army commander, why am I going, like, why am I going to fight the Russians for Ukraine? Like, I spent 30 years planning how to, you know, blow up Ukrainians when they were with the Russians. So, I don't know. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. It's about Putin. I've always... This is going to sound really weird. When I use the term respect for Putin, I don't really mean that. But in terms of, you know, I have a healthy fear of Putin. I, you know, he's, a, he's been a healthy secret agent. fear? He's been a secret agent for a long time. He kind of pulled Russia back from the brink. I believe I've spoken about this before. But... My God, the man is in his seventies, and there is no clear successor. That's that's cool. terrifying. Like, what does Russia look like without Putin? Um, you know, you have Quick these. Kind of, I can't believe there's no successor. No one really clear. Like, you know, you have Navalny, who's kind of this kind of 
Western liberal, but no one, I don't like, I don't think most Russians like him. Like he has a lot of support in the West, but you know, he's, he's just not that good. Um, not, not that good, but I just don't think there are a lot of Russians behind him. Um, I just, I don't really know who would kind of follow up after Putin and maybe Putin doesn't give a fuck. Maybe he's just going to ride it out to the end. Um, but yeah, he is not, it's not like, it's not, he's not left systems in place that, you know, a new leader can be relatively meritoriously found. So as someone who's effective from either voting or maybe like, you know, like the Chinese system where you have to be the best of the best in your little village and then province and then city and then everything. You have to kind of climb your way to the top and only the best get there. Um, you And it's like it's not, he hasn't handpicked anyone either. And perhaps he will after the war. I don't know. But um, it's pretty scary to know what can happen to Russia without kind of a leader who's very, very strong, like individual, uh, who's been there for over 20 years. Who knows? Such a long time. I think we talked about, spoke about Putin semi-recently, you know, I say recently, in a previous podcast. Um, I do like to talk about Putin. About, yeah. yeah, his and, you know, how long he's been in power and he's just fucking always there. He is, he just has been there. He's, he's kind of like a staple. Like, like Angela Merkel was a kind of a staple in, in, in Europe for a really long time. Um... Putin is, a, is, is like a, a global staple. Um, you know, presidents change. Uh, you know, there have been more Chinese leaders in China than there have been in Russia. Like, he's just, because he just, he's, he's just, he's brutal and he's very effective and he's just there. Um, he's not going anywhere. He's just, well, he is. He's, he's in his 70s. He's like, my man, like, he's not, like, quite Joe Biden levels of, of out of it quite yet. <laughs> he's, like, I don't know. He's getting there. Who knows? So hopefully... But surely the fact that he's part animatronic would mean that 70 is the new 50. Maybe. Maybe Putin is just going to slowly turn himself into, like, a full cyborg, you know? That would um, be pretty cool. He's going to upload himself into the Russian AI and it will be down <laughs> within six months. Um, who knows? I don't know. Um, it was really interesting when the war began. Everyone was like, oh, the Russians are going to you know, reach Kiev in three days. You know, they'll Ukraine so quick. Oh, hello. Harry, Harry was saying four days. Harry was saying four days. Well, Harry, yeah, you're yeah. wrong. You <laughs> Stupid little baby. You don't know what you're talking about. Your your combat assessment was incorrect. Wow. You're using that kind of language with me? <laughs> um, was it very uh, obviously, the Ukrainians have held on. Yeah, yeah. Um, they done solidly. Of, uh, you know, advising the Ukrainian army. Oh, Anything else you feel like covering? Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Okay, well, what is your oh, the election? Do you have any gut feelings for the election? For the election? Well, yep. our previous success on the US election was based on one of us picking That's one right. person and one of us picking the other. I was so I'm willing, I'm willing to pick um, Adam Bant. Um, <laughs> so if you pick Aldo, Aldo, then I think we're at we're pretty good odds. 
Yeah, Adam Bant is 50 years old. I think he looks pretty Base. good. He does. He looks very good for 50. Like, he looks more like mid-40s kind of, you know, cycling dad yeah, yeah. Real mid-40s vibes. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 50 yeah. looks good for 50. I wonder what's the skincare routine, Adam Yeah, it's what happens when you're, you know, you're a green. You look younger. Less meat. Yeah. The meat is aging us, making us look old. I look like a haggard 90-year-old man compared to Adam Bant. He's stealing my youth. Um, okay, so, like, no, like, legit. Like, what is your – how are you feeling about it? I, I think – well, it's a weird thing where I actually – I think that – sorry, I've got some sneezes. Um That they are, there are actually a few, like, okay. uh, moderate liberal candidates out there who are replacing yeah. more conservative people. Oh, so okay. it's a weird thing where, like, um, the symbolic failure of the Liberal Party currently, i.e., with their you know conservative fuckwit leader. Um, mm is then weirdly contrasted where it's almost as if that level of leadership has prompted an internal change towards being a moderate, but people don't or wouldn't see slash care about that change. So they'll still get voted out. And then as a result of that, the view will be, well, you know, all these moderate candidates didn't win. So obviously now we need to, that's justification to push more conservative candidates. I fully agree. I think the Liberals, you know, Menzies, in Menzies' words, you know, the Liberal Party is a very broad tent. Um, yeah, yeah. All, so many different kind of forces kind of have come together in the Liberal Party. Oh. <laughs> We've got a couple forces of the Liberal Party currently. I was gonna say, it doesn't sound like they're fans of the Liberal Party. Um. No, we've bred little United Australia parties. Yeah. Um, I think they're so, like, the Liberals, their moderate wing, which was once quite large, is actually its most um, part of it that's under threat by, you know, these kind of teal independents. So, like, you know, Frydenberg and Kuyong is quite threatened by um, Dr. Monica Ryan, um, Dave Sharma, um, in Wentworth, there, there's a threat. You know, obviously, Zally, Zally Stiegel, I believe her name is, um, you know, has, has won in the previous election. Um, and they're basically running on kind of pro-climate issues because they, they are lib- they're people who would have traditionally fit in the Liberal Party, right? But because the Liberal Party currently is not really... is actively moving away from its kind of urban capitalist urban capital base right mm. like the different forces of the liberal party kind of agricultural capital mining capital landlords conservative uh, the church and urban capital urban capital you know these kind of people who are in climate change um support relatively progressive rights but you know they're just like neoliberals um they are going to they're under threat from both labor who has kind of slowly shifted more to more to the centre slash centre-right 
over the few years, uh, but also these independents because climate change is a bigger issue. Um, like the Liberal Party is effectively like, okay, they're losing their moderate wing, so the conservative side of them becomes larger and larger. And while they do have threats to their conservative base now in Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party, uh, Clive Palmer and um, Craig Kelly's uh, United Australian Party, as long as a host of other you know right wing groups, um, the Liberal Party's kind of slowly fracturing. Um, I would argue that the next big fracture will be behind, you know, um, between the kind of the mining interests and agricultural interests over climate change. Like in Australian history, agriculture and mining, you know, big farm owners and mine owners, they've had their interests pretty well aligned. You know, land rights, you know, all of this stuff, low taxation, et cetera, et cetera, being able to just do their thing. Um, but because climate change is an existential threat to the agriculture industry and it is fueled by the mining industry, that is an internal contradiction within the Liberal Party that I think will probably come to a head um, at some point in the future. It may be if they win the election. It may be if they lose the election. But I think over the next decade, there are going to be some significant changes within the Liberal Party, and I don't think it's going to necessarily go in the moderates' favour. Because moderates are slowly moving over to different groups, like this independent way proves, and fuck, it may, might not be a single one might get up. Um, I still think it's a threat to the kind of the Liberal Party. Um, you know, it means that someone like Frydenberg, you know, a relative moderate, you wouldn't know it, but he is, um, <laughs> can't make a play for the big seat against ScoMo eventually, which I'm sure he's been anxious to do, um, because the moderates don't have the support, not externally, electorally, they don't have the support in within the party. It's a so, real uh, quandary. To be honest, I actually think it's in the Liberals' best interest to lose the election, be able to kind of go through maybe eight years of, no, don't get me wrong, like obviously I want this party to be fundamentally destroyed from our society, root and all, but I'm also a pragmatist. Um, it would be better in their interest to be in opposition for maybe eight years um, and completely deal with all of these issues. Like, yeah, I, yeah. where do the moderates fit in your party? If they don't fit, push them out and embrace conservatism. Um, how are you dealing with the agriculture industry and farmers and how that links to a very key group for the Liberals, the Nationals, who are so fucking at war with themselves and the Liberal Party over climate change. Um, like, where do they fit? How do they work? Because the Labour Party has been able to do, has done that for, for years now. Like, they have united around two leaders pretty strong. Um, obviously, you know, when Shorten went down, obviously he was going to be replaced. But, you know, everyone, that was kind of the deal. Everyone knew that was coming. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the Labour Party kind of is going for that small target strategy. I don't know of how effective it is, but I think it's relatively effective in they are not Scott Morrison again. Yeah. Um, there for sure. But yeah, I don't know. The polls say Labour has a, has a chance to win. I think they could, but I also think it is very possible that Scott Morrison could do it. But we will find out next week. How exciting. I hope... Yeah, it's soon, isn't it? I hope that it's like the South Australian election and Anthony Green called it within like half an hour. Fuck. What a man. Just, yeah, I didn't have to, all the stress was gone. 
yeah. <laughs> Chinese food on the couch, and yeah. I was just like, hell yeah. I can just like watch all of these liberals give concession speeches. Um, great night. 10 out of 10. Sounds good. Would, would watch the Liberal Party lose again. Um, yeah. I'm on Daddy yeah. Green. Daddy Green. Oh, he's just so good, isn't he? He is. I met him. He's a man. You've met him. I know you've said this before, I think. I'm. We weren't. There's we, still a massive claim to fame. It was at uni. I mean, when I say I've met him, I, I believe I shook his hand and spoke and like a few words to him. I'm like, oh, you know, like, really respect all the work you do, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, God, senpai. But yeah. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Anthony? No, I think, I think we've had an excellent and highly successful, uninterrupted, you know, smooth running podcast. I think it's gone very well. It's um, it's been nice. It's been nice. Um, look, we're not going to promise how often we'll do this, but we will try and get it in whenever we can. Um, yeah, yeah. Once every, you know, maybe a biannual. Biannual. I should. Uh, I'll bring in guests and and put a voice filter, uh, a stocksy voice filter. Like I'll get Alana to come back. Yeah, that's a good idea. Put a voice filter on. So it sounds like me. Exactly. Oh, that's um, perfect. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, it's been... It's been a time. A podcast. Simbuki. Simbuki, oh, fucking hell, yeah. It's been <laughs> many months since Simbuki. Bloody Simbuki. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Excellent. Goodbye. It's been a lovely Good. chat. Bye. <laughs>